Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the self-described frilly feminist, Angel Friedman. In all seriousness, Angel is a force, a force for good, equality, and change. In addition to being a staunch feminist, Angel is a devoted mom, social worker, 10-time director of the Vagina Monologues, and author and playwright in the making. Angel and I had a chance meeting several years ago when she was running for town councilor. She was canvassing in my neighborhood and knocked on my door, and the rest, as they say, is history. I've had the privilege of receiving a priceless education from Angel on what it truly means to be a feminist, and the importance of supporting and advocating for women who may not have a voice or the means to do so. Through Angel's charity work, she has helped countless women and families in our community and beyond. Angel walks the talk like no other person I've ever met. I'm so happy to have her here today to share her story. Welcome, Angel. Hello, Kim. So I love the story of how we met. May I share that? Please. So as I said, you were running for town councilor, and you came knocking on my door one evening and asked if there were any issues in the community that concerned me. And I had one in particular, but I told you right up front that I was not a Canadian citizen. I couldn't vote. I couldn't help you in that way. And you said, that's okay. I'm happy to help. Tell me what's going on. And I was so struck by that. At the time, my biggest concern as a mom of three little girls was that we didn't have a crossing guard up at our school. So you hopped on that the very next day and began to help. You got the police involved, the local media, the newspaper, the local news station, and jumped right in with both feet and helped out. And you didn't have to do that. And as I said, it struck me that you were so willing to help, even though I couldn't give you a vote in return, even though I would have (laughs) if I could. So why did you, why were you so willing to help that day? I guess maybe for the background, it's just, you know, maybe why I was running for municipal politics, because community means a lot to me. And um, having a crossing guard is just normal. I mean, why you didn't have one was beyond me. So I, because I knew um, the media and because I knew the local police, you know, I wanted to help. Well, I certainly appreciated it. So where did that spirit of community, of helping in the community come from? So when I first moved to Richmond Hill, you know, we bought a home that um, was brand new and there wasn't a lot of homes on my street. So there was a lot of racing down my street. So there was a community of people um, that produced a newsletter. And I asked if I could write an article. And the article was about, you know, racing through the community uh, because it was newly built. And um, from there, they asked me to be their social director of the community. So... That's basically how it all started. Great. So from there, things got bigger. I'd love to hear about the initiative that you started, Angel's Garage. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So just to back up a little bit, um, I started with the Westbrook Residents Association as their social director and then became... um, 
then became president very soon after that. And I mean, that was a group, that was a community of about 2,000 homes. And I just got to meet a lot of people and um, started to learn more. And again, that probably was the road to politics, or I thought the road to politics. Anyhow, um, I decided instead I would go back to school. Before going back to school, I had... um, Actually, while I was in school, sorry, that is true. I actually, while I was in school, I'd found out that the blue bins that people give their clothing to were selling it to the local shelters. And so I thought that was so wrong. And I remember one of my professors saying that there was a special place in hell for those people to sell the clothing that people donate to uh, sell it to the shelters. So I started to tell my friends this story and I said, you know what, now that I'm going through school to be a social worker, I'm going to start collecting these clothes myself and I'm going to take it to the shelters. So I said, just put your clothes in front of my garage. And so a friend of mine, Julie, she said, just take it to Angel's garage. Just put it in the front of her garage. So... So as time got went on, you know, articles were written about Angel's Garage and um, just it just sort of, I guess, snowballed from there and, and was called Angel's Garage, right? So people brought clothing, household items to me. And then on Sundays, I would pack my two kids in the car and we would go to the local shelters and drop off the, the, the clothing that people gave to us. Um, so we, I did that for probably, for probably 17 years. Wow. I yeah. didn't realize it was so long. Mm-hmm. What a great lesson that you taught your kids to, <laughs> to be part of the community mm-hmm. in that special way. It was, it was nice because I mean, I got to know a lot of the shelter, uh, shelter front line staff, which was great. Um, Sometimes a local Starbucks would give me the uh, food from the day before. So that was nice. So everybody started to like, you know, give me things that I could bring up to the shelters. And I used to be known, especially in the men's shelter, as the lady with the good stuff. Right. So like, and you know, at Christmas time, it's still I do this with or without my children if they're around. Um, I go Christmas morning to the men's shelter and the boys shelter and I bring them um food that I buy cakes and coffee and you know if I have any mugs mugs are always really important at the men's shelter so um you know I just I feel that I'm here so I could so that I should help and you know sometimes people will give me um tampons or something for the women's shelters or the family shelters or food so I still go. I don't really, I don't have Angel's Garage anymore, um, but I do, as you know, other things that we'll talk about. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I know sometimes people are surprised to learn how much of a need there is for donations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people really realize that there are these shelters in our communities. So it's good that you're shining some light on that. You know, I remember, this is such a great story, which still happens today. The food banks, and especially we'll just talk about York Region because I know it well. Um, the food banks are open from 11 to 1 usually. And that really struck a chord with me because I thought, 
wait, so if you're working, you can't go to the food banks, you know, and if you're, and then you can't, and they're not open on the weekends. So you basically would have to take a day off work to go to the food banks. And then that kind of speaks to Angel's Garage. I thought, well, if you don't have money, you have no clothing. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And especially, especially with food, you go to a grocery store and there's so much food, then how can we have people not eating? Is even in my own neighborhood, right? Or, or it doesn't matter where. You know, it does just because somebody's paying their mortgage doesn't mean they can afford food. So sometimes it may be that month you may not eat as much, but pay your mortgage. Like, and this happens every day. So the more I was, you know, more I was hearing these types of stories, the more I started to advocate for um, this change. You know, no more giving the clothes away. Um, what about the food banks? Why are they closed? You know, that kind of thing. So after 17 years of Angel's Garage and collecting all of those amazing um, clothing and household items for people in need in our community, you changed gears a little bit and started the Fill a Purse for a Sister campaign. So how did that come about? <laughs> I like your smile as you're telling me about my about the purses. Um, so this is what happened one evening, very late. I was on Facebook at well, exactly, I guess four years ago, someone had sent me a link to a page where they were doing it in Texas, in the United States. So I, th- she said to me, you know, oh, this is so Angel's Garage. So I said, okay, this is really neat. This person's doing that. Uh, so that night, I started a page on, on Facebook and, and decided to call it Philip Hurst for a Sister Campaign. In Texas, she didn't call it that. She called it something else. I forget exactly what she called it, but it was something along those lines, but not not exactly. So anyhow, anyhow, so many people started to like it and talk about it and said, this is amazing, let's do this. So that year, I collected 1,500 purses and all in my living room with my very good friend, Mary, and you, Kim, and so many people who helped out and decided to tell others. I think, is that the year you did it with the brownies? I... Was it the second year, maybe? Might have been the second year. I think it was. So, um, so anyhow, we collected these purses and we went through them all. And, you know, we started to realize in the second year what we should ask people to put in the purses. And just to back up, so what happened with the 1,500 purses is we, we basically donated them to local shelters, Sandgate, Yellow Brick, um, you know, all the Blue Door shelters. And we thought, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and then we said, okay, maybe we should do this again. So we did it again. And we, that next year we collected um, 3,000 purses. And so now we had enough purses to sort of go into the city with. So we went to Toronto and we donated more purses. And then the next year we collected, I think it was about 5,000 maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more. So, but at that point, now schools got, were involved. So high schools, local schools, um, companies, um, law firms, lots of people um, now were involved and they loved the idea. And 
at that point, after the third year, I knew it, we needed to have more structure. So I started to ask people to become leads of the campaign. So if you lived in Aurora, you would take care of all of Aurora. You would have places that people could drop off at. And... Um, and then you'd pick up and then eventually you would, um, then I would, you know, let you know which shelter you would take it to. So then on the fourth year, all of Canada became involved. That's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, so people from Winnipeg, Vancouver, Montreal, Alberta, Halifax, and I'm uh, probably missing something, but most of Ontario. So... And then, you know, this year we had so many leads and and people donating. And so our numbers were close to 9,000. Procter & Gamble got involved and some other places that wanted to donate. And it became out of control. Right, as much you didn't as didn't want could. to have nine thousand purses in your living room. No, <laughs> I, I didn't actually. No, I <laughs> actually I I don't actually see a lot of purses anymore, right? Because the purses are all over, so they're in Barrie and they're they're just they're all over Ontario, so I don't really see them, <laughs> which is kind of sad. But I mean, you know, and this year people had birthday parties instead of instead of gifts, the women brought purses. Um, same with the local schools in Aurora, the uh, Mac. Maximilian um, High School and the teachers there all got together. Um, the York Regional Police got involved by delivering all my purses for me this year in York Region, which was so amazing. You've really created a movement. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it's, it's, it is, it's amazing. So it's time to become a charity. So where are you going with it now? Okay, so I've contacted a law firm to um, help me become a charity so that we can you know, go to companies to be able to, you know, have more more items donated for the actual contents of the purse. So what's in a purse, a lot of people ask me this, is, um, you know, a tampons, a pen, um gift cards, maybe a note to a woman, um, conditioner, shampoo. I mean, you name it, it's all been in a purse. So if if I have a charitable number, the companies such as, you know, maybe Procter & Gamble or whoever we would ask, Shoppers Drug Mart, may be able to donate more because I can give them a tax receipt. Or if people donate money, um, you know, we'll be able to give them a tax receipt and then purchase more purses or whatever it is that we need. So this is growing and growing every year. Do you have a specific goal for this coming campaign in 2019 as far as a number of purses you'd like to see donated throughout Canada? My goal was 10,000 last year. So of course my my goal will be 10,000 this year. I think once we have a charitable you know, foundation and, and perhaps um, somebody to actually work, work the, the charity. Um, I'd like to see it throughout Canada, through, you know, um, every province, every small town, you know, local churches, synagogues, mosques, they're all doing it now, but, you know, to really keep it very organized. 
and um, to be able to assist others. Like we even give um, purses to food banks. We give it to local charities that like if you live in a small town, let's say, you may know of a local charity that that it's not exactly registered like a you know it's not a yellow brick house but it's a little charity um that people who need who are in need um will get purses from us or backpacks i mean we give kids backpacks full of great stuff that's wonderful did you when when this all started four years ago did you see it getting this big uh no not at all. I didn't even think we would get 1,500 purses. I was astonished. You know, um, yeah, it was really out of control. <laughs> I mean, it was in control, but out of control. You know, I mean, why I'm going towards a charity is because, um, you know, people asked me, you know, they'd like to help, but they don't know how. So, you know, somebody may say, here's money instead, but you know, we can't really take money until we're a charity. Um, I really need to have an assistant to help me through this. You know, you, I get phone calls like, hi, I live in Northumberland, Ontario. And I'd be like, where's that? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, and I'm also trying to, um, like we were rehearsing the vagina monologues and I have my own private practice. So, I mean, I was really busy and I needed, I need somebody to be here, but I, I, I believe that when we do this kind of work, it should be paid work for somebody to come and, you know, assist me. So, um, you know, somebody who can keep up a website, who can know, who knows where Northumberland, Ontario is and where the drop off for your purses are and where they'll be donated. Mm. Yeah, so it's a lot of work. <laughs> it is. I can't yeah. wait to see it grow even bigger. Mm -hmm. It's been such a thrill to be part of it in a small way. Just, you know, collecting from my friends, my, you know, brownie, my daughter's brownie unit, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, and to be part of this movement that you've created is really special. So thank you for for making it happen. No, it's really fun. I mean, you know, you, you, I do it with my daughter and, you know, we always do three purses every year and we buy the purses together and then we go shopping for all the great stuff. And, you know, we're, um, my daughter's knitted um, infinity scarves. I mean, she, you know, we, we try to put something new in each time. Um, you know, it's really special. And I see it um, with some schools like Havergill College. They have a mother and daughter breakfast and it's all about the Philippers for Sister campaign. I mean, the letters and, and the notes and the emails and just what I receive, you know, through the three months is so beautiful. I mean, I can't imagine ever stopping and, you know, uh, yeah, because it's just, it's so meaningful. And not just that, there are some women who will reach out to me and ask me if they could have a purse because, you know, it's just, they don't have the money for a purse or what have you. And when I go and, and deliver those purses, that's when um, I know I'm doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned it's a three-month campaign. So annually it runs September 1st to December 1st. Mm -hmm. So if someone is interested in donating a purse or becoming a lead in their community or a drop-off location, how would they do that? Uh, they can contact me through Facebook because we have a Philip Purse for Sister campaign on Facebook, on Instagram, or they can email me at angelfriedman at rogers.com. Perfect. Thank you. 
I think that leads us to the life lesson that you wanted to share today. And that is that together we can make a difference. So how did you, how have you learned that throughout your life? I realized people want to belong and they want to be a part of. And everybody has a can of soup, a piece of clothing, or extra stuff that, you know, they can help others. So sometimes if you, you know, sometimes it takes someone to let people know that other people are in need. It's wonderful to, to write a check to a charity. It's a beautiful thing. But it's, it's something very special when you actually take something or buy something for someone that, you know, you may not know them, but they are in your community. And, and give it away, you know, to the person or the charity or the, you know, shelter. International Women's Day has always held a special place for you. And I know for your daughter as well. I know the two of you like to celebrate it in a, in a meaningful way every year. Why is International Women's Day so special for you? So um, while I was in university, I learned a lot about International Women's Day and the meaning behind it. And especially um, about women getting the vote and... but. But the biggest piece for me was the um, shirtwaist fire in New York in 1911. And the reason why throughout the world we celebrate International Women's Day. So um, I just and and I was sort of saddened that in Canada it's not a a day off. So about 2009, I started to have events at the um, Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts uh, for International Women's Day so we could celebrate it together. So there's been many things, uh, the Vagina Monologues, Sandra Bernhardt, films, um, and so on that I would, you know, bring to the theater. And with the help of Michael Gritt, the theater manager, he who introduced me to actually to the Vagina Monologues, um, he's always been very supportive in regards to International Women's Day. So I've had the privilege of performing in the Vagina Monologues with you as director, uh, and it's been life-changing for me, I have to say. I think I've performed seven times. You've directed... 10 times now and the joke is amongst the cast that you say every time that it's going to be the last time and then we end up doing it again so why is that why do you what keeps bringing you back you know it's funny because um the last time I did it or well I guess not the last time but um, last year when I did it, um, I, I thought it would be the last and the theater manager in Newmarket phoned me and asked me to do it again. Um, and I hung up the phone <laughs> and, said, and she phoned me back and I said, I said, no, never again. I'm done. And well, three shows later, I guess this year, right? This year yeah, we've done three shows. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's a uh, calling. I think it's just part of me um you know the vagina monologues has a really strong message um your monologues uh, really have a strong message most of them do you're you know I'm so glad you've performed that many times you always 
had my back. I just had to phone you and say we're doing it again and you were on board. So I appreciate that. Um, and to the other actresses who've, you know, followed me throughout the years and then the people that have seen it many times and my own daughters performed. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it is a part of me. I, as much as I try to let it go, I know that, um, women loved the performance. I mean, we're always sold out most of the time. So, um, and it, you know, it helps my other um, initiatives. It really does. It helps, the, you know, for the awareness that of of what we're talking about, domestic violence, and um, and then it helps with, let's say, the purse campaign. You know, people go, wait, that's the purse lady or the vagina lady. <laughs> <laughs> you will forever be known. As- <laughs> forever be known as the vagina lady. Um, so okay, so I'm the vagina lady, purse lady. Um, right. So. What's great in the position I'm in now is that if somebody reads or hears or watches something that has to do with women, I get, you know, I'm blessed that a lot of women will send it to me or think of me. And, um, you know, is that important? Yes. I guess my goal is awareness and and especially awareness around domestic violence so you know when we give a purse to a woman who's escaped a domestic violence situation um, you know she often thinks of her children and and I'd like her to think about herself too and that purse and everything in it is about her Mm, that's so beautifully said I'm actually tearing up a little bit right now I one of the the things that I find so special about the vagina monologues is the cast that you have handpicked and brought together because I certainly wouldn't have met this diverse group of women otherwise and I think it is such a special group of women you seem to have a knack for picking just the right people for the right monologues how do you do it? <laughs> I know it's a funny thing because I think about it and a lot of people ask me, how did you decide that that woman was for that monologue? Um, it's a very good question. But when I meet people and especially when they're auditioning, I have a sense of, of who they are and maybe just me being a street kid I just have you know an idea that that person's going to um perform that monologue in the way that I want to hear it you know and the way that it will do justice to the monologue as yours are right I mean you've we've never diverted your monologues we've given you more but um you've always done you know the little coochie snorter that could and and so that's been so you like I can't even imagine (laughs) not doing it with you without you so um you know I guess just that I mean it was like I when I think about the last performance um when I had met Michelle who did I was in the room you know here this woman came vibrant this you know really um not serious but fun lady and I gave her something that was very intimate and you know how you know with um Eve's um daughter-in-law giving birth and I think, wow, like, how did I pick her? You know, how, what, what was it about her? Um, but 
it was in the time, in the moment, and in the room. And I just knew she was the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I've enjoyed seeing, you know, different women throughout the years mm-hmm. that I've been involved with it performing, you know, different parts mm-hmm. and different women doing the same mm-hmm. monologue and just how they do it differently and bring their own experience. Yeah, I think I think the life experience or 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 maybe the awareness of of being a woman or 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 just the monologue itself, you know, sometimes it's very painful or um, I, I've watched over the 10 years women grow from their monologues, grow in their lives. I've seen them flourish, you know, um, be more out loud, have new jobs, new careers. Um, just watching all these women in 10 years has actually been the joy of um, directing the vagina monologues, watching you all change and and be and maybe you weren't that aware of domestic violence but now you're very aware and now you're an advocate you are a very good example kim you know you've gone out there and said wait a minute here we can be we can change we can be a voice to to the women who are suffering right well thank you and now you're really getting me choked up. <laughs> um, but like I said in the beginning, you really have given me an education on what it means to be a feminist. I think, you know, years ago before we met, I had a very different view because I was raised with a different view about, you know, feminism being a negative thing and a dirty word and bras burning and anti-man. And you've shown me that that's not what it's about at all. It's about equality and who wouldn't want that. So I'm proud to call myself a feminist. I'm raising my daughters to be feminists. And so thank you for giving me that education and that knowledge. Um, And through just knowing you and through performing in the vagina monologues, the confidence to do all these things that I'm doing now, which, you know, earlier I might not have done. Right. Look at you, what you're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And you know, even this message, even this podcast, which will be amazing because other women will hear about it and will be able to help women through what you're doing. So, you know, you're a pioneer now and off you go and in helping other women uh, maybe find their voice or find a space to help other women or or even men i mean you know we help children and men we we we're trying to make this a better world one community at a time and through you know like i said i'd I'd love all of canada to get a purse on my watch every woman will have a purse you know forever you know if i can if i can leave that legacy that you know no woman will be without a purse then i've done my job well when you talk about leaving a legacy you surely are and what that must mean to your kids you know i you've you've been obviously a strong role model for your daughter and for your son um how do you think he feels <laughs> having you know grown up with such a strong mama like is he a feminist as he calls himself yeah, a feminist well you know that's always a discussion or sam and i have a 
about feminism. Um, you know, he he does believe in equality between men and women. Absolutely. We have really great discussions, actually. And so with my daughter, Gabby, you know, I mean, they both believe in the equality between men and women. Um, this is really important for them. They don't see the difference for them. They see equality because it's always been equal in our homes. Whatever I taught one, I taught the other. Um, so, you know, I, I, some, I sometimes this may sound strange, but they may take it for granted that, of course, men and women are equal. They're equal in our homes. So why wouldn't they be equal outside? Um, you know, they've seen inside shelters. They've seen sadness. I mean, you know, it's it's nothing. Sam lives in the city, so it's nothing for him to, you know, finish a meal and then pack it up and take it to, uh, you know, a homeless person um, if a coat doesn't fit him. I know that Sam has a local guy that's a homeless guy. He's brought over a ski coat. Um, Gabby has done so much work. She started, she helped start um, taking back the night in Richmond Hill she's performed in the vagina monologues she's you know always with me at events um, when I'm speaking so and um, she's a lot of aunts now at the vagina monologues including you so you know I mean we have to walk our talk as you're doing with your children and and I mean that's really where it all starts so are they feminists I think you know um, they're definitely believe in um, equality between men and women yeah wonderful Going back to the vagina monologues briefly, I would love to know what is your favorite monologue or what is the one that's most meaningful to you? So before um, you brought this up, um, I mean, I love them all. They all mean a lot to me. I still get goosebumps when I hear them. Um, When you all perform, I still get goosebumps. So I know that I'm still, you know, I'm supposed to be directing it. Um... My favorite monologue is probably um, The Village. It, um, I, just, I just have this sense of all the Bosnian women, like they're all with me, inside me. Uh, I feel like we're giving them a voice they didn't have. It was so much pain and so much rape that... Um, you know, this year uh, Judy performed it and... Um, I believe the last time she performed it in Uxbridge, she she really spoke for them. I mean, she spoke for them in Newmarket too, but there was just this extra, I just felt that she really, they were in her. And so, um, yeah, I cry every time. It's just a monologue that means a lot to me. Um, that said, being said, I love them all. I laugh at them all. I, you know, over it means a lot to me. Um, I like saying 460,000 women are raped every year in Canada. You know, maybe people don't like to hear it, but I surely like to say it. And I want people to hear it. And, um, and yes, I am absolutely over raped. Yeah, and I think it's important for, you know, people to know going into the vagina monologues because some people don't know what it is. They, some people think it's a comedy, mm-hmm. and at times it is. It is. Yeah. Um, but I think there are some very strong messages that are sometimes hard to hear, but I think the reason that we do it and keep doing it is because they need to be heard, mm-hmm. right? No, they do. So um, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. 
So what's next for you? What excites you about the future? So what excites me about the future will be uh, become a charity for um, Philip Hurst for Sister campaign. And um, I would like to write a play, um, you know, something, maybe even something along the lines of the purses um, and what purses mean to every woman, you know, because I think everyone, uh, every every woman's purse has something very sacred in it and um you know what it would be like without their purse and and why they donate purses um what shelters feel when they receive so many purses and the women that actually receive them how do they feel um i would like to keep directing uh, um small theater i love it i love the whole concept of it so that may be in my future. I'm also writing my memoirs of my life. So I'm working very hard on that. And, you know, watching my children grow up to be adults now and um, work in my practice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a full plate, it sounds like. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? So my final thoughts are, you know, anyone can do anything. You know, I remember when I went back to university or went to university when I was 37 years old and um, people would say, you know, I don't have time for this and I don't have time for that. And how do you find time? You know, I was 37 years old with uh, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and I went to school and I ran that election, that municipal campaign, and I was raising my children and, you know, I was still involved in the community and even with Angel's Garage. So, I mean, I was taking time out of my life for little parts of what was important. And if it's important enough for you, then you'll find the time, you know, and, um, and that's it. Like, just do, just help ask what, what's needed in your community and, um, you know, be that person. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for all this. To wrap this up, we're going to move on to the final five. So those are questions that I ask of every guest. The first one being, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? It would be awareness. I would love to give the, the awareness to people about the realities of the world and the greatness of the world, right? Because people, people are really great people. Unfortunately, not everyone is aware of what's going on around them right and so they feel sometimes very doom and gloom or they feel that they're hopeless or it it is hopeless but that is so not true that people have choices so with awareness comes choices which could also become happy you could become happy wonderful there's my superpower when you were a kid what did you think you'd be when you grew up I thought I was going to be a physiotherapist. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I did. Why? I have no idea, but it was the one thing that I would talk about. So a physiotherapist and or a police officer. That's what I wanted to be. And here you are as a social worker right. and director and yeah. advocate. And right. yeah, oftentimes I think we go in different directions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you should be very proud of where you ended up and, and where you're going, of course. Yes. 
If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? Pizza. Mm. <laughs> I think a pizza or spaghetti. My family would tell you spaghetti if you asked them, but yeah, it would be one or the other. And what would you have on top of this pizza? Just cheese or? Uh, no, it, um, I would have everything on it you know in Montreal where I'm from uh, we used to have an all-dressed pizza so I would absolutely have an all-dressed pizza that sounds delicious there you go I'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> who is a woman in history or present day you admire so you know I admire a lot of women I admire you Kim thank you <laughs> um I you know I admire a lot of women I I admire the women who made the changes that we needed um you know Alice Paul would be definitely right up there um you know getting the vote for women um being imprisoned and um so yeah I talked to Alice a lot uh, of course, Gloria Steinem. But um, yeah, I think if, if I had one woman that I would say, it would definitely be Alice Paul. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite quote? When you sat down with me and asked me that before we started this interview, you know, I have many. And, and there are, you know, I, I love quotes and I love when people tell me just random quotes. But I mean, I think that if... Um, you know, if I had one quote, it would probably be Gandhi's quote about, you know, being the change you want to see in the world. I've always said, walk your talk. Um, I'm big on that. I, you know, my word is, is always the truth. Um, but I would say that I think that if, if I show my children in my community and the world, um, how to change how to help others I think that um I'm following that quote absolutely I definitely think you do (laughs) thank you thank you so much for sharing with us today I wish you the best of luck with Philippers for a sister and I cannot wait to see you reach 10,000 or more purses in 2019 thanks Kim you're you know what we need more Kims in this world and I appreciate (laughs) being your friend oh thank you hey everyone Kim here an update for you since this podcast was recorded Philip Hurst for a sister collected over 9,000 purses during the 2019 campaign 9,102 to be exact These purses were lovingly filled with essential items and donated to women in need across Canada. And in other good news, they officially became a charity in early 2020, and planning for the next campaign is in full swing and will run September 1st to December 1st, 2020. For more info, check out Philip Hurst for a Sister on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and stay well.